Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to the beginning of this new year. Um, uh, and we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word in all the different circumstances of life. Uh, and we pray now that as we look forward to the year ahead, uh, that you'll speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word, uh, that you'll give us guidance and direction uh, for how we should be living our lives. So we commend this time to you. Uh, please, Father, would you strengthen me by your spirit to preach your word rightly and in his power. And may you work in each of our hearts by that same spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year, friends. Uh, last week, on Christmas Day, we looked at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And we celebrated the fact that God had sent his Son into the world uh, to save us from our sins. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus in turn sends his disciples into all the world. Uh, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That mission that he gave his disciples at the end of the Matthew's Gospel is the mission that we inherit. The same mission that the Apostle Paul was part of when we read about that in our epistle reading. But it is our mission as well. As we enter the new year, it is good for us to be reminded about that mission because that's what should primarily shape our hopes and dreams and plans for the year. The risen Jesus says that he is not just the right king of Israel, but of the whole world. And he commanded his disciples to, to, to make disciples of all nations. They were to baptize them in the triune name, bring them into the kingdom. They were to teach them to obey all that Jesus had commanded, including the command to make disciples of all nations. His disciples obeyed his command. These disciples made more disciples, who made more disciples, who made more disciples, and and that's come down to us. We were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are being taught to be obedient to our Lord's commands, including the command to make disciples of all nations. And so we, in turn, as God's people together, reach out to those who don't know him. We share the gospel with them, call them to believe in the risen Jesus. We baptize them in the triune name, we teach them to obey all the laws commanded, including the command to make disciples of all nations. And so it goes on. And Jesus has promised to be with us by his Spirit as we obey this great commission. And together we grow in obedience to him. That, my friends, is our mission. That is the mission that Jesus has given us and so that is our mission at St. Mary's as well. We glorify God together in response to his grace by making disciples of Jesus Christ. In our passage today, Matthew 10, this is a few years before Jesus gave that great commission. In it, Jesus commissions his disciples and sends them out on a mission but it's not the same mission. It's a different one. 
So we've got to be very careful not to simply take everything he says about this mission and then treat it as if he said it to us. As we look at our passage, we will notice the similarities and the differences between their mission and ours, and that will help us think about what we can learn for our mission as we look at that particular mission on that day. The last part of Matthew 9 sets the background for Matthew 10, which we're actually looking at. Jesus, in verse 35 of chapter 9, had been going out through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he sees the crowd, it says, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Remember our Old Testament reading back in Ezekiel 34? God promised that one day he would look at Israel in that way. And he would come and save them. He would be their shepherd. Jesus had compassion upon those people in those towns and villages because he had eyes to see their spiritual reality. They were lost and they needed him to be their shepherd. Now, we're not in the same position. We don't look at the towns and villages of first century Israel. But we need spiritual eyes to Look at the nations of the world and, and even our own nation. What do you see when you see people in our world? Do you see successful people climbing up the corporate ladder? Do you see people struggling to make ends meet with a rising cost of living? Do you see a potential market for your products, potential voters for your party, potential clients for your business, potential life partners if only you could connect? Or do you see a mass of people out there who you really don't care about, you don't think about at all? Or do you see people loved by God but are spiritually lost? People like sheep who need a shepherd. Or worse, who have a pseudo-shepherd who is leading them astray. People need Jesus, the good shepherd. If only we have eyes to see it. Jesus sees it back in first century Israel. And what does he do? Well, he changes the metaphor and he says to his disciples in verse 7, 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? Even back in those days, the needs were enormous. All these crowds from all these towns and villages in Israel, and there's Jesus ministering to them all. What do you do when you see the needs of our world? What do you do when you realize that people are lost without Jesus, the good shepherd? What do you do when you know that he's the only one who died for them? He's the only one who can save them and bring them into his heavenly kingdom. What do you do when you realize so many more people need to hear the message of Jesus and that, and it's not only urgent, but it's vitally important. Because the harvest is still plentiful. But the laborers are still few. So much to be done. So few to do it. What's the answer? Well, Jesus sets the example because he first and foremost calls his disciples to pray. Pray, therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Friends, that's where mission starts, isn't it? Mission starts in prayer. Nothing of spiritual significance happens unless God is the one at work and he chooses to act 
in answer to his people's prayers. So if you see the needs, if you have compassion on people, if you know the gospel needs to go out, then pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Pray to the Lord for more laborers for this cathedral. Pray for the Lord for more laborers for our diocese. Pray to the Lord for more laborers to bring the gospel to our country and to the whole world. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray. Make 2023 a year of prayer. Now the Lord of the harvest hears our prayers. When we pray, he will answer. You know, that's what's about to happen in Matthew 10. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, is going to send out laborers. But interestingly, the ones he chose are from among those whom he asked to pray. They'd be sent out in response to their own prayers. Care for what you pray for. Uh, we told about this commissioning in the beginning of Matthew 10. Uh, in Matthew 10, he calls his his 12 disciples to him, and he gives them in verse 1 authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And until now, in Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus cast out evil spirits with just a word and heal everyone who comes to him, be from the man who was paralyzed, the woman with the heavy bleeding, the two blind men, even the little dead girl. We've seen Jesus' authority over evil spirits, authority over disease, authority, because he is God come in the flesh. But now Jesus gives this authority to these 12 apostles. The, word, the disciples, they call him, they call them apostles, which means sent ones. Right? In those days, an apostle carried the authority of the person who sent them. And these 12 apostles of Jesus were sent out with this authority to do those things that he was doing. Now, he didn't give that authority to everyone who followed him. But he gave it to these 12, and we have their names, verse 12, verse 2. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this mission to Israel was done by these 12 apostles. Now that's a little bit different from, from our situation, isn't it? In our mission, the apostles started it, but they've long gone to glory. The mission continues. We still get the benefit of the apostles because we have the apostolic teaching in the New Testament. We don't have the apostles themselves. And we don't have the same kind of apostolic authority to, to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, don't get me wrong. doesn't mean we don't ask God to heal. And it doesn't mean that God can't heal. It doesn't mean that God won't heal in response to our prayers. Of course he can, and of course he does. That's up to him. But we don't have the authority to say, sickness be gone, and know it's going to happen just like that. You and I cannot walk into the hospital ICU and empty it out just like that. Jesus could do that. He did things like that. Of course, not in a hospital, because they didn't have hospital in those days. These guys would minister like Jesus because Jesus gave them the authority to do that. As he sends out these 12 disciples on their mission, Jesus gives them very strict instructions 
about who they should reach. He says in verse 5, Go nowhere among the Gentiles. Remember, Apostle Paul was sent to the Gentiles. These guys, no. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Enter no towns of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the people from the, the northern tribes of Israel, mixed in blood and religious practice with the people who have migrated there. Jesus said, you don't go to them. But go rather, verse 6, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember Jesus saw the house of Israel, the people of Israel, like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Well, now he's sending his disciples for them. That's going to happen first before the message later goes out to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And of course, again, that's very different from our mission, isn't it? Right? Our mission is to make disciples of all nations. We're not restricted. We must reach everyone. But this is a short-term mission to the Jews. Sometimes it's called the mission to Israel. It's always part of God's plan. Israel must first be introduced to her Messiah, and only then his light will come to the nations. So what does Jesus do when he sends his disciples out to this mission to Israel? Well, the first thing they're meant to do is proclaim, verse 7, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the Old Testament, the kingdom would come when God came to save and rule his people. And the good news that they were going to bring out to the nation of Israel is that that kingdom was about to come in. God was about to come to save and rule his people. Now, of course, in our mission, we proclaim the same gospel, but more details and updated. Because now we know that this God who has come to save and rule his people came in the person of Jesus, saved his people by dying for us on the cross, taking our sins and our punishment in our place, and rules his people as the risen king. The good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Whoever lives to lead and guide and protect us. And so now we don't just say like the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No, no, we say the kingdom of heaven has come. Because the king of heaven came and died and rose again. And we are citizens of that kingdom. And we also say the kingdom will come. Because one day the king will return. And bring the kingdom in in all its fullness. Like the disciples, we proclaim the kingdom. Because we proclaim the king. And when he sent his disciples out on this mission to Israel, he didn't just tell them to proclaim the kingdom. They were to do the kinds of miracles that he did, continue that, to show the coming of the kingdom. He tells them in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Right? Those are the things the Old Testament anticipated would happen at the coming of the kingdom. They happen in the ministry of Jesus, authenticating the fact that God has come to save his people and he has delegated this to his apostles, so that will happen with them as well. And they will do these miracles, these signs, wonders, and mighty works that Paul would later describe in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 as signs of an apostle. Now, if someone has the authority to empty out ICU, they could be very much tempted to charge for that. You'd make a lot of money doing that, wouldn't you? Jesus says, you are not to charge for doing miracles. You receive, verse 8, without paying, give without pay. It is not meant to be a money maker. So on the one hand, they were not meant to be charging for doing these miracles, but on the other hand, 
their ministry of proclaiming the gospel in the community should be supported by the community they serve. So Jesus didn't want them to bring money and supplies and spare clothes and sandals with them from home. He says in verse 9, Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper from your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Again, our context is different, isn't it? This is a short-term mission. Ours is not the same. But the principle that those who receive ministry support those who minister still applies. How that's expressed, of course, is different in our context. In fact, it's different in different contexts. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, taught churches to support those who minister God's word among them. And there were times when he was... Uh, supported by one church to bring the gospel to a different community. Sometimes he gave up his right for support and he worked to support himself with his own hands. Likewise, as we go out with the gospel, and as we disciple each other, some of us are financially supported by others in the church. Others work by day so we can support them while we share the gospel at night or weekends. None of our full-time workers will get rich from gospel service. They must be looked after properly. It's not charity. The laborer deserves his food. And it's not just food. It's also shelter. And when Jesus sent his apostles on this short-term mission to Israel, it was a short-term itinerant mission. Uh, they might have had their own home somewhere in Galilee. They wouldn't be staying there. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're moving from village to village to village. So in the next section, Jesus gives them instructions about who to stay with. Now, of course, that's different in our situation. We are sent to all the nations. We're not given detailed instructions about who is going to go where, how far we're going to go, where to stay, what to bring. Some of us will leave home to take the gospel to other nations. Some of us will stay home. Some of us will even come home to bring the gospel to our own city. Most of us are not doing itinerant ministry most of the time. Most of us will just live in one place, work in one place, minister among those around us. Of course, sometimes we will do short-term mission trips, a bit more like this one here. But you know, incidentally, huh, I think it's sometimes easier to go somewhere else because you know, the reason I'm going there is for mission. So you do it. Concentrate on that. But remember, friends, the reason you are here is still for mission. Everything else you do is the infrastructure needed so you can play your part in the mission. And that's true. Even if your main role in the mission is making disciples of little children or elderly relatives. Don't get so caught up in optimizing the infrastructure that you forget the mission. Uh, in this mission to Israel, whenever they come to a town or village, verse 11, the disciples are going to meant, meant to go and find out who is worthy in it and stay there. In other words, find someone who is responsive to the message of the kingdom and stay with them. Don't go and go with someone else. And once they settle in one house, he said, stay there. They were to stay there until they departed. You should be content 
with the home provided for them rather than just keep on looking out for a better offer. In our mission, well, there's so many ways that gospel workers can be looked after. Missionaries stay for a time in people's homes in the book of Acts. And even today, we open our homes to gospel workers who are passing through in the short term, show hospitality to them. But financially, we support the housing and other expenses of those who, who labor among us full-time by paying them each month. As a matter of principle, though, same principle, we don't go and ask unbelievers to fund gospel ministry. They want to give money to maintain the heritage building, that's fine. If they want to give money to feed the poor, that's fine. But we don't use their money for direct gospel work or to support gospel workers. Because that kind of support is part of gospel partnership. It must come from gospel partners. Now, at St. Mary's, the easiest, best way to do that is through the Ministry Workers Fund. Right, the fund is there to pay the salaries of gospel workers in the cathedral. Uh, it doesn't fund my salary. My salary comes from the diocese, which is another form of gospel partnership. But most of our pastoral and mission workers are paid from mission workers' funds. So if you're a believer, you want to partner with them in the mission by supporting their ministry, then I suggest you might want to allocate some of your giving as a pledge for that fund. It's a privilege for God's people to be partners in the mission. When these apostles entered a home, home of the person they considered, think was worthy, they would have come in with that assumption. And so in verse 12, Jesus says, as you enter the house, greet it. All right, we know from elsewhere the kind of greeting they would, they would give is to say something like, peace to this house, right? meaning the household, not the building. And that's not just a hello. Uh, back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 52.7, God spoke about the messengers of the kingdom, like these disciples. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, the gospel who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, the gospel message that the disciples were bringing, the message that God reigns, that Jesus, God has come to save and rule his people, to bring salvation, it's a message of peace. It's about the end of hostility, the end of judgment, the end of the spiritual exile. It's about peace with God. And so the greeting of peace by the people who bring this good news is actually quite a significant declaration. But it's not magical. Its efficacy depends on the receiver. Verse 13, And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Likewise, in our mission, there'll be times when we bring the gospel to people, we think they've received it. But actually, in their hearts, they haven't. We can't see people's hearts. We don't have windows into their soul. So if they say they believe, we must, we must accept that. Huh? We accept them as gospel partners. We baptize them and their children. We share communion with them. We treat them as fellow believers in life and death. We assume and declare God's peace upon them. But if it turns out that in the end they're not believers, well, those things just wouldn't have done them any good. If you're baptized, but you don't trust in Christ, that baptism is not going to save you. If you share the Lord's Supper, but you don't trust in Christ, you have not fed on Christ in your heart. 
If you hear the words of assurance, but you don't really repent, then those, those words don't really apply to you. In our mission, just like in the mission to Israel, there is such a thing as charitable assumption. and We give that to each other. But what's really important for the person is their heart. Finally, in this mission to Israel, there will be some towns that reject the apostles and their message. Jesus says in verse 14, If anyone will not receive you or your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And in those days, when the Jews left the Gentile area to enter a Jewish one, they would shake the dust off their feet. They want to bring unclean uh, dirt into, into the Jewish area. Sorry. And so if a town rejects the Messiah and his kingdom, then they're not part of the true Israel. They're no better than a Gentile city. In fact, verse 15, they are worse. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah were cities in the Old Testament that God destroyed with fire and sulfur from heaven for their terrible wickedness. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the Messiah and his representatives come and tell them about the kingdom. Immoral as they were, they were not as culpable as these conservative religious towns who rejected Jesus and his gospel. And friends, that's a warning for us today, isn't it? Those who hear the gospel and reject it will face God's terrible judgment. You know what? We've got the full revelation of Christ. More than those towns, even. We have the full stop. We know of his death and his resurrection. We know what it means. We don't just have Old Testament. We've got New Testament as well. If rejecting those towns had, if those rejecting towns had so much more than Sodom and Gomorrah, we got so much more than them. And if we reject that, we are more culpable than even those towns. And the judgment for us will be even less bearable on the last day. So brothers and sisters, we've heard about their mission, we've heard about ours. As we enter 2023, let us do so cognizant of our mission. Let us see and love people the way that Jesus does. Let us pray for more laborers for the harvest. And as gospel partners, let us work together to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new year. Thank you for giving us a mission to make disciples of your Son, we, together as your people, tell people about him and help each other grow in obedience to him. Now, please help us to take our mission seriously. May our purpose this year come to better reflect your purpose for us. Help us each to play our part, whatever that might be, in the mission you've set us on. Help us to trust you to support each other in the mission. 
to faithfully speak your word, to be prepared for rejection. May we be your faithful servants this year and in the years to come. And help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.